This podcast is brought to you by Zeno Mueller, three-time Olympian and gold medalist. Imagine a 20-second 2K PR by the end of this season, or even sooner. Elite rowing coach by Zeno Mueller is a competitive advantage. The ERG score is the SAT of rowing, so find out what Zeno Mueller can do for you. Make sure to use coupon 4STARS, F-O-R-S-T-A-R-S, for $200 off on any program he has on his website. Zeno is an Olympian and graduate from Brown University, coached by the legendary Steve Gladstone. He'll get you right, he'll get your 2K down, and he'll be a better athlete after his training. So make sure you tune in with Zeno and get some coaching at EliteRowingCoach.com. Friends don't let friends erg alone, right? Bring a teammate with you and have some fun. On tonight's program, ladies and gentlemen, we have something that's going to make you sick. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Four Stars Podcast, where today we get to hear from the legendary Dave Reichman. Coach Dave is entering his 22nd year as the head coach for the Orange over at Syracuse on the men's rowing team. Coach Dave, how you doing today? Doing great. I, You know, the word legendary, I think that just means I've been around a long time. I don't think it means anything more than that. I think if you stick around long enough, people occasionally use that word. What about Syracuse just makes you want to go to the boathouse every day? Because you've been there for, you know, 22 years now. Rowing and coaching to me has always been a people thing, right? I show up every day for the athletes I coach, and they are really what inspires me to to do what I do. Um, I, I think that's true of most of us, right? I, I, you know, showing up in cold weather to go right on the water. And, you know, I don't know if that's on everybody's top 10 list of things to do in life, but uh, to get the chance to work with the student athletes I do and, and to, uh, to see them develop uh, at a very crucial time in their life makes it uh, makes it a special place. The Onondaga, you believe, is like the best waterway to row on in college athletics. Yeah, I think what's unique about Syracuse, so our boathouse sits on a bypass canal that's about 1,200 meters long, and it connects Onondaga Lake to the Seneca River. Uh, people argue about lakes or rivers and what's better, and we've got both. Onondaga Lake, 7K across. There's uh, three measured 2K courses on it. The old IRA course is on the windy side of the lake. Uh, on the other side, we usually put in a 2K buoy line. Uh, if you go to our river and take a left turn, you got uh, 9K. Do you get to a lock and have to turn around? If you take a right, well, I've never hit the end, so I'll have to let you know how far that is. There's a rumor you could row. You have to go through a few locks, but you could row from the Atlantic Ocean to Chicago. It's it's part of the old Erie Canal system. That had some uh, construction. They had to redo that lake, right, or something like that. So there's something going on there? Yeah, it was a big cleanup project, uh, and it's uh, completed now. And, and uh, you know, the... <laughs> Yeah, as a rowing coach, only we're probably the only ones that say this is kind of the bad thing about the cleanup is there's a lot more recreational use on the lake, right? A lot more power boats, uh, still way better than just about any place else I've been. But as the as the lake has cleaned up over the last 20 years, uh, it's it's been fantastic. There's canoers and kayakers, lots of fishermen who we have great relationships with, lots of recreational boaters. So, yeah, it's uh, the lake's been a great place to to row and practice. That's fantastic. 
what are some of the things that you're doing with your crew right now trying to prepare for head the Charles? I think like a lot of college crews, we don't put a ton of preparation work into the head of the Charles. You know, it's something fun to do for our guys. You know, we uh, we're doing our usual you know, we'll try and get five, six workouts in as a crew before uh, before the Charles. And this morning was our second. You know, we, we generally practice in the afternoon, but a couple of guys in the eight had some labs. So we had to go morning this morning. And uh, yeah, not, uh, not a lot of fancy stuff. You know, I we, we just try and balls about teaching people how to row, getting uh, getting a solid base in. We have a different crew this year. You know, it's a little younger, not not as many people with varsity boat experience. So spent a little more time teaching this fall than we probably would otherwise. Heather Charles, last year, you did fantastic. I mean, the crew finished right behind the U.S. national team. What was that like for you to see in, you know, a collegiate crew going and doing so well? You know, I, it felt great for the guys. You know, they put a lot of time and effort into it. You know, that that particular group of seniors over the four years, you know, kind of thrived in the spotlight a little bit. And they they love the big races. And, and they certainly had one on that day, right? I, I think... Uh, you know, that that crew in particular, I think, is is suited for the longer stuff, maybe more endurance guys. And, and they, they had a not knack for not letting the boat slow down over the over the race course. So, uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun to see the excitement in their eyes when they found out they won. And, you know, particularly having a lot of seniors in the boat that put in a lot of work over the four years. You know, it, it was great for them to to have that moment. And just adding on to that, you also finished third behind Princeton and Yale at Eastern Sprints. Not only that, but the first time the program's medaled in for over 40 years. I mean, as a coach, you've been there for half of that. So, I mean, again, if you could talk about that, that'd be fantastic. So when I watched that race, I was in shock. I mean, the crew's going sub 530. I mean, that was unreal. That was fast. I mean, there, there's been a, a lot of racing on Worcester over the years. And, and that was, I believe that was a course record by Yale. And we were only what, 1.7, maybe behind them, 1.8. Uh, you know, I, again, I, I think that's just a crew that, uh, you know, decided to put their nose in the race and, and see how long they can hold it. And and I thought they did a, a pretty good job. I, I thought the tailwind worked to our advantage a little bit. Again, I think some pretty skilled guys that, uh, that can handle themselves in those conditions pretty well. You know, 1.7, 1.8 out of winning the sprints. You're disappointed you didn't win, but I, I think our guys are mature enough that they recognize the moment, you know, when you haven't won a medal in 40 some years. Uh, at the sprints, you'll take third just fine. Thank you. For IRAs last year, I made a poll and I, I put Syracuse in the grand final. You can't go out there. Once the crews are off the water and you've launched them, there is no, you can't go up to them mid-race and talk to them or, or you know, timeout or whatever it is, like, you know, in basketball. You know, I think we ought to add a, a timeout in our sport, right? I, I'd love to have one of those little clipboards, picture of a boat on it, stop the guys mid-race maybe a situational substitution or something like that. You know, hey, we're going to the bullpen. We want to put our closers in. I think you would be amazed at the thought process of most coaches once their crews are off, you know, hoping that, uh, you know, the wind stays down, the conditions, you know, will be fair. It's it's a lot of, you know, gosh, I hope I told them the right things. Uh, you know, it's it's a more about, you know, can we execute the race plan that we talked about, you know, 
Uh, did, did I get them in the right frame of mind, you know, when I shoved them off it? And, and, and so it's a lot of stuff like that. It, it's uh, probably very little useful stuff, to be honest with you. I mean, coaches are pretty nervous like everybody else, I guess. But yeah, I think it's a lot of fret and anxiety a little bit, just hoping that you did right by your athletes and you you told them the things that they need to have to have their best performance down the course. Now, how long did it take to form that crew at IRAs? You know, I, I, I think we were pretty lucky, and I think that contributed to the IRA. We had everybody coming back from the year before. The lineup we raced at the Charles was the same nine guys that raced at the IRAs. By the time we got around to spring, there was one change to the lineup. So that's a crew that had a lot of miles together. And, you know, it was a different coaching challenge. I, I think, you know, usually from from the start of the year to through to the IRA, you know, you kind of take it week by week and, okay, this is what we're going to work on this week. And you can make some pretty big changes as you go. And and it's it's no small feat for you and the crew to work together to to make the right calls to get your best speed at the IRA, right? And and these guys were just such a mature group and, and we had a good relationship where we could sit down and, and talk about it as a group. And, and I, you know, the, it's, it was an experienced crew that had a good result from the year before. So they weren't, sometimes the steps weren't as obvious, right? It was, it was trying to gain inches week to week sometimes instead of trying to gain big chunks of, of real estate. And, and uh, I thought the crew handled that well. I thought they, they really challenged themselves. they, they had a unique ability to have very constructive conversations with each other and, and not take it personally, you know, work together to, to keep making the boat faster bit by bit. And, you know, for them to go through and have the year they had and to finish the IRA and and say, yeah, we, we were kind of hoping to get our nose in the metal hunt, but that's as fast as we can go. And that was fifth. And we're OK with that. You know, we. Uh, we threw everything we had at them. It was our best race of the year. We we did the things better from sprints to IRA that we wanted to do. As you know, it's it's fast company out there. That's an understatement. We had a preview, or at least the people are really looking at your social media and seeing the true power of and you know what your team is like. And I thought that after I saw the mic'd up video with Ryan Elsinga about him in the boat. R Ryan is a unique individual. Uh, you know, sorry to see him graduate. You know, I, I think we've got a team full of characters like that. We have fun. The The number one feedback, you know, our, our guys all talk to people from other teams, right? And that's one of the, the great things, I think, about having athletes from different countries all over the U.S. is they know people from other teams. And I think the number one comment they get from from their teammates is it just it looks like you guys are always having fun you know I, I i think fun's a crucial element of of working hard and and pursuing excellence right if it if it wasn't fun you know they they got enough pressures in their lives right school and and you know trying to accomplish everything they want to accomplish academically there's a lot of social pressures nowadays we try and create an atmosphere at the boathouse where, you know, that that two hours you're at the boathouse, you can't wait to get to every day. It's the highlight of your day. Uh, now, sometimes, you know, as all things, there there's some tough moments and you kind of got to fake it. You know, we kind of look at each other. Best two hours of my day right here, coach. You got to do that. I don't think we have to fake it as much as uh, others might. Now, erging, because we talk about, you know, getting into college for rowing is you have to have a fast erg, you know, be tall and all this like you know, these stats that you got to have. 
if you're, you know, your recruiting coordinators that that handle all of this with their, you know, prospective recruits, how do you come in the mix a little bit and have your own little take on who we should really take more of an interest on or whatnot? Because it is, is it always the fast erg? I think all erg scores require a little bit of interpretation. You know, ultimately we're, we're, you know, if you want to be in a fast, have a fast varsity, you, you got to have guys under six minutes, right? That's the standard of our sport. Uh, you know, there's several college oarsmen out there that are in the, in the five forties high mid to high five forties, you know, a couple we know about, you know, in, in the low five forties, you know, everybody has guys in the low five fifties. So, we, you know, what we're looking for in recruit is something that, that indicates to us, they have that type of potential, you know, and, and I think when you're looking at an ERG score, you're looking at, uh, the training plan they're in. Uh, you know, at, at high school rowing in the U.S., you see tons of variety in in what people are doing for training plans. And, you know, some kids are rowing for 12 weeks in the spring. Some are rowing year round. Uh, you know, we're seeing way too much sports specialization in my mind. People rowing uh, too much and not doing other sports. But you, so you have to interpret it, you know, uh, a 620 isn't necessarily a 620. A 620 from a kid that's been rowing year round for four or five years isn't the same as uh, a kid that's rowed 620 and he's rowed for a year and a half. We're seeing a lot more kids in the recruiting process, you know, and, and this, I think, yeah, is I don't know if it's an upside or a downside of specialization, you know, as, as we've sort of lost novices or, or see fewer and fewer novices trying out at the college level. A lot of those kids are finding the sport a little bit earlier, right? They're finding the sport maybe start of their senior year, midway through their junior year. And I think they've they've probably specialized in another sport, lacrosse, basketball, football. Uh, maybe they're not seeing the results or they were told at a young age that they, you know, were, hey, you're going to be a college basketball player. And then they get to their junior year and that's not happening. And they've committed three or four years year round to that sport. I, you know, they get a little burnt out on it and they find their way down to the boathouse. So I think they find their way to the boathouse a little bit earlier, maybe than they used to. Uh, they don't see it through to the end of their high school year. But, you know, a kid that's been rowing for a year and a year and a half that's going 620 is different than a kid that's been rowing for five years going 620. So, again, we're 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 looking for kids that, you know, we use the term junior year guys. We're looking for kids that. uh you know, we, we get uh, two or three kids every year that are, you know, ready to row somewhere in our top 16. I think the rest of the kids, you know, there's something about them that makes us think by their junior year, if we develop them, if we coach them up and, and God forbid they listen to us, uh, then I think, you know, they'll be ready by their junior year. Now, how important is the coach recommendation in the recruitment process to you? I think it's really important. You know, I, I think you're trying to Hey, look at the first filter we put kids through is character, right? I, I'm too old to coach idiots, uh, you know, and, and, you know, from, from your rowing experience, it just takes one kid on the team, you know? And so you're, you want to know what kind of kid he is. You want to know what kind of teammate he is. Uh, can, can he work within the framework of a team? You know, is this a kid that, that needs a lot of direction to do extras or is he self-motivated college rowing, uh, you know, you've got some limitation on practice time. So the kid's going to be on his own a lot, you know. Uh, yeah, you're, you're trying to do those type of assessments. You know, I, I, I think we're worried less about, 
you know, is this kid a good technical rower? And you're looking for, is this kid athletic? Because if he's athletic, we can coach him up. I'm telling you, if you're coachable, that you can get a really far in the sport. It's yeah, those I, that don't, I don't get, think, yeah. I don't think people talk enough about that, right? I, I don't think they they talk to their athletes enough about how to be coachable, right? How do you, what's the mindset for for trying to make a change, you know, do, do you value that as a program? And if you do, do you tell people that, right? Do you make it as, Hey, we want guys that are coachable. You got to come in here and you got to want to get better and you got to, you know, be able to be accountable for that and, and do it on your own. A little bit. You know, with the 20 hour weeks or the, even the eight hour weeks that sometimes the NCAA throws at you, how do you manage that? Are the athletes able to do their own workouts outside of those hours? Yeah. You know what we do? We're a little bit different. I know there's a lot of a lot of programs in, in college uh, that do 10, maybe 12 training sessions uh, a week. And, you know, I feel like I have a huge commitment to allowing my athletes to pursue academic excellence, right? I want them to put as much effort into, into their academic studies and what they plan to do after college as, as the sport of rowing. So we program eight sessions a week as a team. Uh, when we're in our 20 hour weeks, obviously you can't do that very well in eight hours, but our guys that have ambition and we have a lot of those type of guys usually pick up one or two extra workouts on their own as their schedule allows them to, you know, the erg rooms are open, uh, you know, whenever our recreational center on campus is open, uh, so they can come in on their own and, you know, we tell them what type of work would be most beneficial. We have a group that comes in and does it quite a bit. Friends don't let friends erg alone, right? Bring a teammate with you and have some fun. If you had to say where this sport might lead to in the next 10 years, where do you think it might? I, I'm worried about college athletics in general with all this conference realignment. And, you know, I know there's, I think there's six schools and power five conferences and, and uh, there's a lot of decisions being made that, you know, are, are being made, let's be honest, uh, more in line with what football needs and, you know, I don't know if it is in the best interest of Olympic sports student athletes. We'll see. Uh, you know, I, I hope it uh, I hope I'm wrong. I, I think men's rowing, you know, we made our, our last, I think, best opportunity to try and make a push for NC2A membership in in 2008, 2009. The TV contracts were good. The NC2A was in a good place money wise then. Uh, I think there's a lot of uncertainty in the NC2A now. So I, I think uh, I think we got to let this conference stuff settle down a little bit and get some stability within the NC2A before we make our next push to become an NC2A sport. Um, I, I don't know if that's the be all end all. I, I think by not being an NC2A sport, if the rubber hits the road, so to speak, the decisions need to be made from a financial standpoint. I, I think it's too easy to look at men's rowing and play what I call Sesame Street decision making. You know, that old song, which one of these things is not like the others. Uh, it's too easy to say, well, we've got this one sport that's non-NC2A. So uh, let's get rid of it first. It's first on the chopping block. Uh, at least I think if we were an NC2A sport, there's a chance we would get judged on our own merits. And I think any time rowing can uh, can be judged by what we bring to the table, what we bring to a college environment in terms of academic and athletic success, I think we got a shot. It's the oldest college sport ever. 
and for it to be the oldest college sport and for it to not have as much uh, recognition and, and support really confuses me. And so we'll see. I think there's a group of us coaches that are more and more having conversations about what what's the future of college rowing look like and and you know how can we are are we too stuck on our traditions sometimes or or can we blend the best of our traditions and morph the sport into something that uh lends itself a little better to to media and whatnot I don't know if you had the chance Hudson so we have uh if you're a member of the ACC, you have an ESPN crew, an ACC network crew on your campus that that does all the Olympic sports team. And, and we have a an ACC network crew here that uh, our last home race right before the pandemic in 2019, it was us in Dartmouth. And they got a time slot on ESPN and, and did a dual race up the way I think it ought to be from, uh, from a TV standpoint. They had... Uh, they had media packages for in between the races, interviews with Coach Allen from Dartmouth and myself. They had a roving sideline guy who got people as they came off the water and talked to them about their race. They really did, and they had some great camera positions on our home course. We've been trying to do some different things to change the sport schedule-wise, but we have a home race, our GOES trophy this fall. And I saw the uh, the ACC network chief at Syracuse a couple weeks ago, and he's like, oh, we got it on our calendar. We're going to we're going to try and set the standard for how a collegiate dual rowing race is done. Right. And, and I think that's part of uh, making it more interesting to watch, making it, uh, making it, you know, a little more palatable for people. Well, with Cal and Stanford going to the ACC, those are pretty big powerhouse schools. I mean, let me ask you a question, coach. Okay. Now these schools are literally on the Pacific coast and now they're going to be competing on the Atlantic coast. It makes no sense, but I'm just curious to know if you're excited about, you know, having them part of your conference uh, next year. Men's rowing isn't an ACC sport. A funny story, our AD when Syracuse moved from the Big East to the ACC was a fellow by the name of Daryl Gross, uh, who's who's out in LA at one of the schools out there now. And he, uh, we're in a head coaches meeting and, and he's, you know, announcing all the work they've been doing on the ACC and how he wants to, uh, sponsor ACC championships in Syracuse. And if anybody wants to do that, and of course, you know, I raise my hand and, and say, Daryl, I, you know, I think we should sponsor an ACC championship here hosted. I, I think we have a real good chance to win. And he was all on board with that. And his deputy AD leaned over and said, he's the only sport in the ACC, the only men's rowing team. <laughs> so he was like, oh, you know, that that's not uh, that's not ideal, uh, you know, but uh, it's great to have Cal and Stanford on. I, you know, I don't know that it changes much. We already go out there and race Cal and Stanford. We go out for the Pac-12 challenge every year. I Pac-2 challenge. I don't know what it is now. I guess it might be the ACC challenge. Who knows? You know, but we already have them on the schedule. It'll be interesting to see if, if rowing doesn't come up with their own conference realignments. You know, okay, the Big Ten's changed a little bit. You, you have Washington and Wisco now. Does that make sense for the sport of rowing? I mean, there's within the Pac-12 now, I think the men's soccer teams are part of the Mountain West possibly conference or they have their own soccer conference out there. You know, here at Syracuse, uh, our hockey team, hockey isn't an ACC sport. So our women's hockey team 
has their own conference, the CHA that they uh, they play in. So I, I think, you know, with some of the realignment, maybe it makes sense for the, the West Coast programs to to come up with their version of the EARC. We used to have what's what was called the Western Sprints, right? And it used to be instead of having the WIRA and the Pacific Coast Championships and all these separate ones they do now, it was just one big championship. Uh, you know, the, the Varsity 8 actually had two or three heats once upon a time, um, you know, and everybody would uh, would compete you know, when one go down the race course, uh, you know, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what makes sense as we get to the other side as this conference stuff stuff settles down a little bit. I know. Right. I think that if people start to figure out just let's do this, let's keep at it. Let's stop trying to change it and just keep it. So we know it's actually going to be safe. Then then we'll be all right. Uh, but I'm going to head to the Q and a right now, and then we'll get back to this discussion. Uh, we do have a lot of questions here, but one of them is from Claire O'Hall from Harvard now. Uh, she once worked with you and she wanted to say that you are the best. And also she wanted to ask, how do you balance tried and true tradition with innovation in the sport? Wow. Um, you know, I, I, I think part of it is being an old guy, you know, this is, this is 38 years in collegiate coaching for me. Uh, you know, 22 as a head coach at Syracuse, I think I've, I've had uh, actually 37 years. I've had 35 as a Division One head coach. My, my, I think my role in the sport has changed a little bit. You know, I think as as these young coaches, you know, a lot of the old guard that was around when I came into the sport, Perry Parker certainly. Uh, you know, Steve Gladstone was sort of the last remnant of that. Uh, Stan Bergman, Curtis Jordan. Uh, Rick Clothier, you know, some of these names that Randy Jablonik, some of these names that were just legendary, Buzz Congram, uh, you know, it, to our sport. Those are guys I learned from. Right. And and I remember them, you know, giving me advice. And, and you know, I, it's just been in the last couple of years as those people have retired that in our coaches meetings, I'm almost like the unofficial historian sometimes. Right. Like, you know, somebody will come up with an idea and I'll be like, yeah, we tried that in 1992. Here's here's what happened and here's why we went away from it. You know, if we're going to do it, then we've got to think about how do we solve this problem? So I'm challenged by trying new things. Claire's a great young coach. You know, she she worked with us here at Syracuse for a long time and, and I, I couldn't be happier for her to to get her shot, you know, at, at Radcliffe and she's going to do a fantastic job there. Uh, I think that's trying to find new ways to do things is is what what keeps me motivated as a coach, uh, whether it's, you know, a biotelemetry system, whether it's, uh, you know, some some wrinkle I want to add to the training plan or a, a new way to teach the same old topic. I, I think what hasn't changed about our sport is what it takes to be successful. Right. Uh, a lot of hard work, a lot of determination, a lot of grit, you know, that that hasn't changed in 150 years or more in our sport, you know. So so I think that's the old tried and true. I think there's always new and innovative ways to, you know, put a new wrinkle to how you're teaching, you know, how to make a boat go fast. And, and that's what that's what I enjoy about coaching. I hope I never stagnate. I feel like you know, again, it's it's 37 years and I feel like I've learned something new every year. And I, I hope I keep learning when I stop. It's, you know, time to retire to the golf course or something like that.
was about to ask you, what's your handicap? But we'll get into that different discussion. I, I would say my swing is my handicap. How's that Ooh. for an answer? No. <laughs> That's awesome. How did you grow such a strong alumni base also from uh, Coach O'Hal? Communication and patience. And it, it's being honest with people, right? I, I started when I took over at Syracuse. I, I think the program was in an interesting place. And I just tried to communicate to the alumni base uh, what our values were. Uh, what was important to us as a program, uh, what we were trying to do to make the program faster. If we had a bad race, we owned up to it. You know, we still own up to it. I just try and be honest and communicate with people and and, and let them know that uh, we value their support. If you're at a program that, that doesn't have a strong history of alumni support, I, I think you got to be consistent. You know, thankfully, Syracuse has always had strong alumni support. I just think you got to be consistent with your messaging and, and even you know, not just communicate when you're, when things are going well and you're winning, but even through the hard times, you got to communicate and, uh, you know, let people know what the plan is. How often are you communicating to other coaches in division one rowing? Yeah, quite a bit. I, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, that's one of the neat things about our sport. Uh, you know, Charlie Butt and I have been friends going back to my first collegiate coaching job back in the fall of 1987. And, and uh, back before he had five kids, we probably talked a little bit more. Uh, you know, his hands are full, although getting less full as the kids are moving on. And, and uh, but yeah, Charlie's always been someone that that I can call up and throw ideas around with, you know, as I can with anybody in the sport. You know, I think there's a lot of great young sport coaches in our sport, you know, Mike Gennaro being one. I obviously Mike rode for me. We have a great relationship. I like to, you know, he he rode at a level that I never had the chance to at, right? He he did he's won medals at world championships. So uh the chance to pick his brain from an athlete standpoint you know, uh, has been great. Wyatt Allen and I throw ideas around Todd Kennett, Rob Friedrich, you know, I, I think coaches, uh, coaches in our sport do a great job of asking and talking about things. And I feel like we have each other's back, right? We know it's a tough business. Uh, we've all been there, you know, I, I think, you know, we, we've, we've been on a, a pretty good run the last four or five years and had some success, but, it's not so long ago where where we had a couple of tough years uh, as a program. So I, I remember those years vividly. And, and I have a, a lot of sympathy for coaches that, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs in our sport. And uh, there's a lot of very good coaches in our league that can get the job done. Since you are part of a Power 5 school, I mean, now it's Power 4 with Pac-12. With that, have you used NIL or have thought about using that in your recruiting at all? That's a hot topic at our school, right? It, it's easy to look around, you know, particularly in football and basketball. And, you know, you're seeing it in soccer, you're seeing it in lacrosse and you're seeing all this NIL money. And, you know, I, I don't know that that aligns with my value system in the sport. Um, you know, I, if a coach wants to do that, I nothing against them. And, and if our kids want to get involved in it more power to them you know i think it does some things like you know it used to be the case that one of our alumni back in the 90s was selling shirts at the ira when they hosted it here and making a fortune and he got in trouble with the nc2a for that uh you know now he can do that you know he can run his own business uh you know so i i think there's a lot more freedoms for athletes but i'm hoping nli doesn't 
become too much of a thing in our sport. Yeah, I was just more saying not like money given to athletes before they come there, but more so if if an athlete wanted to start their own business or a YouTube channel to you know, make some money because college is expensive. Uh, you know, that was that was my, my thoughts about that. Yeah, so we actually had, uh, you know, here here's an interesting story. Uh, we actually had one young man get an NIL deal uh, last year. Uh, he's a he's a young man from North Carolina. He was actually the the only walk on we took last year in our program. And because he was a walk on our recruited athletes, uh, you know, their first year, and it's the only time we have anything to do with their housing, we we put them in the same dorm, you know, they're on different floors, but they're in the same dorm, it helps them get to practice and stuff. Well, because he was a walk on, he was in a, a different dorm. And there's a, a cellular company that has their name, the JMA Carrier Dome, they're the sponsor of the Carrier Dome, and they wanted to uh, promote their 5G network uh, in the big dorms on campus. Well, because this young man was a walk-on, he was the only athlete in this dorm that they wanted to promote their 5G network in. So he was able to, they called me and said, hey, can we get this kid's number? We want to give him an NIL deal. And, and uh, so he, I, it wasn't much, a couple thousand bucks or something like that to wear a t-shirt around and to, to talk to people about the 5G network that they had in the dorm, right? So, you know, they, they're sure a, a kid like that, more power to him. There aren't much rowers that have NIL deals, which is interesting i have i haven't heard of any athletes that even have like people coaches offering money to give them you know you hear stories and rolling but you never hear about that but i'm if, sure it's just around the corner to be honest with you i mean if, if you're uh you know if you're in a big urban area and you have a, a huge following for your program i'm sure it's just a matter of time u.s national team went out to roll championships this year and we had thought that they were going to do pretty well at least the men's eight and uh they, they had came i think in sixth um which wasn't the you know the best result that we would have wanted for direct qualification, uh, and Chris Clark talked about the fact that there wasn't you know the media coverage wasn't the best the World Championships this year you know wasn't much drone footage or seeing things but I mean Gladstone was the coach at that eight and I'm not too sure what happened there are a lot of new faces in that eight but I just don't want to see you know our country and our rowing you know fall to other countries you know it's just. There's no reason why we have great athletes and great people. And I'm just not too sure what the reason is. And I've never been a part of it. So I'm curious to know. So I, I've had the opportunity over the years to, you know, work on six different, I guess, U.S. national teams, three senior teams and three U23 teams. And it's a tough business. Right. And and I, I don't uh, I don't have enough inside knowledge or or nor would I share publicly. I know it's a tough business. I, I know that. Uh, you know, I, I I can comment, I think, a little bit more on, you know, the media coverage and things like that. It it comes down to money, right? Like like everybody, all my we we had a great experience over at Henley this summer and and you know, everybody loves the footage uh at Henley. Uh and and they they don't understand uh, how much money they've invested in infrastructure to do that. You know, the big camera booms they have at various intervals down the course. Uh, they had some issues and couldn't do the drone this year, but those drones that they use are hugely, you know, it's like a almost helicopter size. <laughs> they're, they're big, but it takes a lot of money to do that. And Henley's sort of unique in that you can run cables down either side. 
uh, to, to get that. And most race courses, you can't do that. Uh, could we do a better job in, in collegiate and world rowing? Yeah, I think so. But, but that takes money. This equipment is, uh, is pretty expensive, you know, uh, You'll see, you know, we, we've got better equipment uh, at Syracuse to do this race in the spring I was talking about. Uh, you know, our AC network guy was telling us about equipment they had that they didn't have five years ago when we were doing it that will allow them to, to do better quality remote work. Uh, you know, he's got, he wants two drones and he'll have better camera placements on the course. But if we didn't have a football program here and, and we weren't trying to televise uh, football, basketball, soccer, lacrosse, all those sports. That's where the money for that type of stuff comes from, right? So U.S. rowing could invest a ton of money in in being able to have better media at races, but that's probably money that isn't going to go towards supporting athletes, which is uh, an area that we're behind other, other countries. And Coach Gladstone's obviously a successful and talented coach, right? And uh, sometimes... Uh, you know, for whatever reason, you don't have the race you need at the right time. You know, that crew was certainly capable. They showed it in the heat. It's a tough business. You put a lot of pressure on yourself and you got to perform. They had the juice, you know, they had the juice to go. And I'm not too sure what happened, but maybe there was something going on beforehand or something that went on that we don't know about. There's a lot of people out there playing armchair quarterback. You know, that's that's easy to do. It's it's easier to to take shots than be part of the solution sometimes. So you know, let's keep supporting U.S. rowing. Let's let's keep making sure our athletes have everything they need to be successful and, and uh, you know, supported at a level that honors the work they put in. What do you think is the most important part of the rowing stroke? I've always asked this to coaches recently because someone who important to me told me I need to start asking this question to coaches. Yeah, I get asked that question a lot. And, and I, I don't think there there is an important part. I think it's all important, right? I, I think that it all builds on each other, right? If if you want to have a good front end, you got to have good preparation, you know? And if you want good preparation, you, you got to finish it off properly. So I, I'm always suspicious when I, you know, when you can look at a crew, good rowing looks boring almost, doesn't it? It looks so simple and everything flows together and there's not one part of the stroke that stands out, right? If I look at a crew and I see, oh, they have a really strong catch or man, they're finished. It usually means that that that's a little too much emphasis on that part of the stroke, right? I think they all feed on each other and they're all equally important. You know, I, I you know, yeah, there's parts of the of the stroke that are a little trickier to teach. I think everybody, you know, the the front end uh, can can be a little tricky sometimes. But yeah, I think it's all important. I think I think good crews do everything well. I think you can be a good crew. You know, if you're a really good catch crew or a really good finish crew, to be a great crew, you got to have everything. Yeah, and I'm sure it takes a lot of work on the coaches end to kind of formulate everything because I can't imagine trying to form like the best crew of a team because it's not just all the best erg scores. It's not all of that. It's all the different things, character and chemistry and, and all those things like that. So, you know, we'll see how it, how it goes. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of times, just one one final thought on on teaching the stroke. I, I remember so so Harry Parker, my first job was interning for him, and and I I like to bring him up a lot because uh, I think people are starting to forget a lot of my athletes now. I bring up Harry Parker, and they have no idea who he is, right? And and uh, you know I I was on Harry and I used to golf a lot together, and we were on a golf course once, and and. 
you know, I was asking about different parts of the stroke and, and how he taught it. And, and, you know, I, I thought I'd, I'd try and badger him once in a while with a question and, and I'd usually get unexpected answers, but I asked him once, I said, do, do you think what you teach is the best way to move a boat? Do you think it's the best, you know, technique for, for making a boat go fast? And he kind of paused a bit as he often did. And he thought about it and he said, you know, I don't know, but I know I can teach it. And that's a lot more important. And, and so I always try and refer back to that. Right. Uh, you know, there's been several times and we could do a whole podcast on this in the future, but there's been a couple times that trends have sort of hit U.S. rowing about, you know, we're, we're experiencing one now with the pause at the finish or the gather or whatever people call it. You know, I don't know that people understand how to teach it right all the time. And and I think ultimately that's more important. There's people have won uh, boat races with so many different techniques and in different ways of doing things. The important thing is they all do it together and that the the coach can teach it, can get his point across. And I think that's ultimately more important at the end of the day than the specifics of the catch or the finish. Right. Because you always hear about crews talking about the cycle. You got to cycle the blade out and then hear about now pausing at the finish. It's so different. Like it's two different things now we're talking about. I know that Texas rowing has their own rowing stroke that they call the Texas rowing stroke. And uh, wow, Dave O'Neill, that was a podcast for the books. What a great coach. Yeah, I talk about a guy who does something a little different, right? He does that. The He can teach it, right? He does it very well. You know, Wes at Penn teaches a, a pause or a gather, or I don't even know what to call it. But again, we could talk about this forever. But the original Australian crew that started doing that did it because they were trying to teach themselves. If you ask most people in the U.S. why they do it, they, it's a timing thing, right? Uh, it's a one part in a stroke where everybody can be together. But the original Australian crew did it uh, because they were trying to teach themselves to recover with the speed of the boat and make the the finish up to the catch and put the blade in in one motion, right? And they wanted to time that to the speed of the boat. Well, they were rowing the straight four and they were rowing at 20 strokes per minute and they were getting down to where they could hold like a 138 split for, for a 30 minute piece. And you can't row 20 at a 138 and recover with the speed of the boat. The boat's going so fast. So they decided to hang out at the finish until they could come forward with the speed of the boat have one fluid consistent motion to tie their recovery to the speed of the boat uh they weren't doing it for timing they weren't doing it to let the boat run out they were just doing it so they could feel the speed of the boat on the recovery right they morphed that after a while into okay let's see if we can you know give ourselves a little pull forward and see if we can keep the boat from slowing down while we do that right that takes a lot of athleticism that takes more athleticism than I have in my program, right? And and if you can teach it, it's very effective, but you better have good athletes that can do that. that I'm not clever enough to teach it. I'll say that. For all the recruits out there that want to go to Syracuse, they want to be a part of your program, they want to build off of this culture that you're formulating. How do you want them to go about this? Who do they reach out to? How do they get in contact? Yeah, they can send, uh, you know, they can go to our website on cuse.com and, and, uh, you know, fill out a questionnaire, send an email to, to Coach Walters. Uh, you know, we're, we're looking for kids. We're not done. 
you know, we we've had uh, we've had some good success the past couple of years, and we're looking to keep building. Right, uh, we've graduated a good senior class. Uh, we think we have a lot of good young rowers that by the time we get to the IRA, we can have some speed. But we're looking for kids that want to challenge the status quo. Right, I think there's there's been you know three or four programs that have done a great job of of consistently being at the top you know of of the IRA for the past 20 25 years they, they've had their time <laughs> right let let's see if we can get a new crew in there i don't know if we can be the crew to do that but we're sure as heck going to try and uh you know so if kids kids want to challenge the status quo give us a shout go orange baby coach it's been a pleasure thanks for being on the four stars podcast i really appreciate your time and uh, this podcast will be aired after Head of the Charles, and hopefully we can see you with medal stands again this year. Yeah, thanks, Hudson. I appreciate it. I hope there was something useful in there somewhere. Totally.